So, children are going, in fact, uh, since we've started the rehearsals for the uh, annual Christmas uh, play, uh, many are starting over there uh, at the 11 o'clock hour. So, uh, don't feel like we're losing half of the congregation. Uh, and actually, good numbers. So, let me just take a, a little while to look at who all's here. Not that I'm calling any names, but... You know, sometimes uh, we meet during the week and go, hey, yeah, I didn't see so-and-so. And, and if I don't shake your hand, I don't even know if you were here. And maybe you didn't want me to know. And maybe it's, it's, it's not important that I know that you're here. But, you know, it's always nice to know who's been coming and who's not coming. We can reach out. and um, The sermon will start in a little while. And I'll, I'll preach a, a little while. And... That got me thinking because you see that word and that phrase, a little while. And it's been a little while since I've seen some of you come to church, you know. And Dan would say, it's been a little while since some of them have gave. Dan, he never, he never says that. <laughs> but how long, how long is a little while? Oh, somebody's already cut to the chase. It depends. Chief was explaining as he comes and gives me my pre-sermon. You know, Chief is, Dennis Wright has basically taken over Norris Henley's job. Norris, every Sunday, would come and totally distract me from the sermon I was supposed to preach because he would tell me about the sermon he'd seen on TV before he came to church, <laughs> which were always better than whatever I had prepared. He never said that, but that's what I'm thinking. And, like, oh, I, and then we would pray, and, and Chief has picked up on that and... Uh, and any other deacons also come in and pray with me if it's uh, if you've got time to do so. But uh, I ask him, how long is a little while? And, of course, he immediately comes with a story, as he would. And I was going to illustrate it a different way, uh, but let me use some of his. Put your hand on a hot stove for a little while. Hold your boyfriend or girlfriend's hand for a little while. And which one is longer that you would say of those two periods of time? Probably the stove. So here's, a, here's what I want to do. Here's what I'd like to do. If you have a watch on, raise your arm. If you've got a cell phone, I forgot to bring mine. I was going to bring a cell phone. If you've got a cell phone, you know they've got a clock. Raise them up. So some of you have both hands, and it's very unlikely a Baptist church that both hands would be raised. But... I should take a picture, you know, and send that into the association. Look at all these Baptists at First Baptist San Antonio. But if you don't have either a cell phone, you can put your hands down. Because uh, I've started to get a little nervous. Um, if you don't have a cell phone or a watch on, you can always look back there because very intentionally there's a clock back there so I know when to start, you know, the landing procedures. Um, and what I'd like for you to do is, is uh, just basically see how long this sermon lasts because it's going to last a little while. Or, or actually, we could do it this way. And Chief, this is the way I was thinking about it a little while. Let's have a contest to see how, if we can hold our breath for a, a little while. And see if the sermon is a little longer than how, how long you hold your breath. Well, you obviously know that it, it is relative, it is subjective, it is personal, that term, a little while. But yet, Jesus tells his disciples that in a little while they will see him no more. In fact, that phrase is used five times in the six verses that I'm going to read for you today. In a little while. And let me pause right there because 
I had this conversation this week with myself and with some of the other staff members. Um, there are some preachers who are so confident that they can interpret the Word of God that their confidence becomes arrogance. If you heard Jesus say, in a little while, and you didn't understand him, and he had to explain it to you, and you're really not sure you understood it, that's exactly what happens in the text today. The disciples repeat what he said. They're talking amongst themselves, and Jesus repeats exactly what he said, and he illustrates it, and he gives us some really good stuff in here. So I say this not with confidence or arrogance, but this is the word of God, and listen to me as I read his word. John 16, beginning at verse 16. And I set the context again. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. From, from John 14, he's talked about, let not your heart be troubled. And he's going to talk about one who's going to come, the one who's going to be a comforter, the one who's going to be this convictor, the one who's going to be our champion, the one I said last week who's going to be our mentor. And he shifts gears, if you will, from this promise of one who will be there in his absence to say, I'm leaving. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by the saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Verse 20, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at this somewhat, almost like a riddle. You don't see me, then you see me. The disciples couldn't understand it, so your son explained it. And uses the illustration of, everyone can understand, of pregnancy and the fact that when a woman is in the midst of labor, it's painful. But yet, when the baby comes, there's joy. And he says, you will grieve. Most of us don't want to grieve. And then some of us grieve and can't find our way out of our grief. But you promise us that the joy that comes through knowing your son Jesus is a joy that no one can take away. Father, we pray as we spend a little while with you that we would understand that from grief we can find 
joy. Speak to our hearts to say, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever missed an appointment? Sure you have. Went to the doctor's office, and it was the wrong day, or you're an hour late. Back in the military days, those of you who have been around a long time, when they used to give that green and white printout, anybody old enough to remember those? Some of you I know have been around. The green and white computer printout, it would have your dental appointment. I saw Keela, and I'm sorry, that's why the rabbits pop up. And you would get this appointment to go to your annual or semi-annual dental appointment. And if you didn't go, the dadgum dentist sent a letter to the commander, and you got a no-show letter. And I want to tell you as a chaplain how many times I had appointments with people to come into my office, and they never showed. I didn't send a letter to their commander. I didn't tell them they should be chewed out for not being able to remember an appointment. But maybe I should have. Some of you say, where did he go with that? Well, the whole fact of it is, is that we each blow appointments. You know, some people carry daily planners. That sounds antiquated, though, doesn't it? I remember I got to Edwards Air Force Base. They gave me a Palm Pilot. You know, my Palm Pilot was a rubber band and some ink and, you know, some string. And, you know, that's how I remember dates and events. And then the Blackberries came out. I had a Blackberry. Oh. But now you have cell phones, right? Smartphones that you can put anything on. And pause for a moment of sadness on my phone. I just started doing these. I finally started putting birthdays. I can never remember birthdays. I remember my kids' birthdays. I got that. But like, you know, Dan, where are you, Dan? I have no idea when your birthday is. When is your birthday, Dan? August? When? Is that his wife answering? Somebody else? Is that Laura? I have no idea. I don't put it in there. You know, unless he tells me that week we go out to eat, and that's about it. It gets flushed with all the other things that are up there, you know, floating around that need to be discarded. But in my iPhone, about a year ago, I put A.J. Malacrita's death. Guy I was stationed with in uh, Edwards, and we get to Okinawa, and he calls me one day and says, uh, Cliff, I need you. And he's in Colorado. He's already retired from the Air Force. AJ, who was just like a couple years older than, a couple years older than Tull, or a couple, five years older than you, so five years older than Nick, had uh, died after a car accident. And I tried to remember to send an email or a text just to say, I remember. And for some, it seems like that was just a little while ago. And grief is that way. You can be very comfortable in your grief. You know, nothing has poked that old dog. Nothing has stirred that fire and your grief has been content and been dealt with and then something happens and it all comes back to the surface. Jesus lays out the fact that he's leaving and after telling his disciples multiple times, they still don't get it. Look back at John 12, John 13, John 14. He says, I am leaving. He says, you cannot go where I am going. He says to them, I'm going to be with the Father. He says to them, I will leave someone in my place. So over and over, he's told them this, and they still are not getting it. And then verse 12, he says, look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. They're still not processing and finally, he says, I know your hearts. I know your minds. You're not understanding what I've just said. Let me give you an illustration. And he shares that they must have my first point. And I know some of you are going to go, what? Not good grief. I didn't change good grief. That was where I was going to go with Charlie Brown. Good grief is in there. Royce, take that one away and type in pregnant faith. 
pregnant faith. Some of you are going, man, I ain't ever getting pregnant. No, no, no more. Uh-uh, it ain't never happening. Some of the men, some of the men say, well, it ain't ever going to happen for me anyway. And some of you are saying, well, dude, if, you know, you think about some of the characters in the Bible. How about a- Abraham and his wife? Whee! Start laughing at that point, right? But the miracle of life, stop with that right there. The miracle of life from conception to pregnancy to birth is God created. Only God could make that happen. And so much in our society today, we undervalue it. We make life so meaningless. that some crazy guy in Florida this week killed three people because of the color of their skin. And tomorrow would be the 60th anniversary of the Martin Luther King speech, I Have a Dream. My mind just gets so upset with things that happen in our world. We're still in a time of grief. That illustration, that pain of childbirth, becomes a common theme in the Old Testament. If you haven't familiarized yourself, you you take notes, write some of these down. Isaiah 22, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 66, all talk about the suffering of the children of Israel, how they must suffer like a woman in labor before the Messiah will come. So I think it is wonderful that the Messiah is using Old Testament word pictures to say this period of grief, this period of labor, this period of suffering is just a little while. And soon there will be joy, the birth of that baby. And as I said earlier, it's no secret I've never given birth. But I have been around pregnant women, both my wife, daughter-in-laws, other women I worked with. You know, I, I saw, you know, all the things that uh, they go through as in from the outside, you know, the outsider observation. And, and here are some of the things that uh, I, I think we all know. When you're pregnant, you have cravings. I, I don't know. Is that my wife works with women who are getting... Is my wife here? Who knows? I'm completely thrown off. There she is. She's hiding by... You cannot hide behind Sherry. Do not duck down behind her. Is cravings really a real one? Or is that just a... Okay, it is. Well, some of you are going to say it is, but I mean, just because we say it isn't really true. Anybody crave pickles when you're pregnant? That one always gets me. Craving ice cream, I could be pregnant because I crave it all the time. Yeah. But there are cravings that women have when they're pregnant. There is... Usually, I think it's healthy, there's weight gain, right? And if you don't gain enough weight, they get upset with you. You've gained too much weight, they get upset with you. I'm like, man, can you not get it straight, you know? Your blood pressure's too high, your blood pressure's going this way. Swollen feet, that's kind of normal too, isn't it? Yeah. I have that same problem. (laughs) Weight gain, cravings, swollen feet. Maybe I am pregnant. (laughs) Pregnant faith, hey, hang with me. The changes to the body, even after the pregnancy. I asked my wife, is it okay to say, I don't even want to say it. (laughs) Stretch marks. I'm like, is there a better word for that? Like, lines of happiness? (laughs) I mean, we say wrinkles are like, you know, I don't know, signs of... Patina or whatever, I don't know. And then there's that thing called labor. What? Labor. I mean, it's, it's like 
for some women, it's like, oh, you know, I just went in there and had a baby. Boom, done. And some women, it's like three weeks later, I came out of the hospital. But it's just a little while, Jesus says, because it will all become worth it at the birth of the child. In fact, I read one commentator this week, said no mother, as she's introducing her children, goes, this one I can't stand to look at because it took eight hours to give this one life, you know. It's like once the child is delivered, it's, it's all forgotten. All that grief, all that pain. And a pregnant faith causes the joy of forgiveness and the knowledge that he's coming again to always be producing in your life, making sufferings of this world all worth it. And I know there's a little danger in using this illustration, but I, I, I thought, you know, some of us haven't shown the faith of what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, because you know that when you're pregnant, everybody, when do you start showing, right? Isn't that one of the terms they use? She's finally showing. Side note, one of my biggest faux pas is an Air Force colonel. A chaplain assistant, she and I were good buds. And this shirt is, is starch today. And Brent and I have already talked a little short. You know, I'm too fat, belly sticking out. And she is in starched ABUs, which that's the later, well, I don't know what they were, well, I don't know what they call them now. But after the black, brown, and green ones came out this next kind of pixelated version. And, she, and you weren't supposed to starch those, but hers are starched. And, and I've gone to see her or, or the whole unit at Fort Meade and, and, uh, I've taken them out to lunch. It's kind of one of the things I did. I take the whole staff out to lunch on my dollar, not to Uncle Sam, so don't think I'm mismanaging government funds. And we go out to lunch, and they get out, and I say, well, I'll pull up and let, I'll just say, Sergeant Snuffy out. And she looked at me, and she said, why? I said, well, in your, and when I said, when in your, I just stopped. And she said, you think I'm pregnant? <laughs> because in her ABUs, they were starched, and they were coming straight out like this. And I've been in the Air Force long enough to know that if, if they're pregnancy tops, they don't have pockets on the bottom, but I mistook for the second, and, you know, I'm old and I'm blind and I can't see it. And, man, that was the worst lunch I ever endured. <laughs> All because I thought she was showing. And if Christians will show the pregnant faith of Jesus in their life, in their heart, they will make a change in the world in which we live. And having that pregnant faith, the cravings of sin, the weight of judgment, the swollen heads of the spiritually elite, all go away. And the diversity and the changes of the body are okay. I love to see more people come to this church than I know their names. It challenges me. And I hope it challenges you. As we talked about last week, if you haven't said hello to somebody and introduced yourself, do so before you leave. And Joe didn't take me up on going to lunch. Joe, I don't know where we're going today, but I'm going to take Joe to lunch eventually, okay? She's my one focus right now. The bigger families will have to wait. <laughs> have you ever been invited to feel the baby move on a pregnant woman? Please, guys, do not go up to a lady who's pregnant and go, hey, can I touch your belly? That's about as creepy as you can be, okay? <laughs> so if one invites you to do that, probably it's going to be pretty close to the family to do that. 
and you feel that baby move, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Wouldn't it be exciting to see the Lord jump in your life? So much so that other people could feel the palpitations of him in you to change the way you live and the way you interact with others. And I know being pregnant is an emotional roller coaster. With our first child, I was so afraid. I mean, I wasn't even one carrying her, obviously, but I was so afraid that it wouldn't go full term. I just knew that something would happen. And Brenda and I are walking around Ingram Mall when it was still safe to walk around Ingram Mall. <laughs> she actually worked there. Wicks and sticks. And uh, we, we were walking around, and, and I'm looking, man, there are people everywhere. People all over that mall. And I thought, every one of them was born. So the odds are that my baby's going to be born okay too. And, I, you know, I know there are exceptions to every rule, but there's this roller coaster of emotions. And there are the same way in our faith walk. Sometimes we let the baby kick us and move us, and sometimes the lack of movement makes others think there's something wrong. You all know the dangers of smoking when you're pregnant. There's dangers of smoking, period. But there are dangers of smoking when you're pregnant. Don't raise your hand if you did. Don't raise your hand if your mother did. <laughs> Don't raise your hand if you smoke. I mean, it's just stop right there. But uh, about six years ago in France, uh, 17 different hospitals got together because there were so many French women who were smoking during pregnancy. They thought, how can we get them to stop doing that? So they paid each one who would voluntarily participate 300 euros if they would not smoke during their pregnancy. I wonder what it would take for you to be encouraged enough to let the pregnancy of faith move in your life and make sure that you will be able to tell the good news of Jesus. Christ tells us that when the baby is born, you forget about the anguish because of joy. And that's our second and final point. Resolute joy. Put your finger on verse 22. We'll come back to that in a second. I can't say the word resolute without thinking of national treasure. Most of us think in movies, or many of us think in movies. You know, if you saw that movie with Nicolas Cage, and I think that's the Book of Secrets or whatever, where he has to get into the Oval Office, and he and, I don't know if that time she's his wife or girlfriend, they, they are underneath and trying to find more about this presidential desk. Anybody ever be, been in the Oval Office? There's probably somebody in here that has. Yeah, I figured, I figured yeah. Probably putting little, no, no telling what they were doing or he was doing. Um, but if you've been in the Oval Office, and not every president has used that desk. Uh, I think actually it was Jimmy Carter who brought it back into use after it had been put away for a while. Uh, but uh, the current president used it previously. I think three have used it. Uh, but that desk comes from, you know the story of it all? Let me back up. How many of you know what the word resolute means? Don't raise your hand if you don't. Yeah, yeah. I always... It is basically something that's immovable, something that is confident. It is a um, word that means steadfast, if you will, determined, unwavering, with a purpose. And that was the name of a British ship, the HMS Resolute, who was on an Arctic expedition when it ran into ice and they abandoned it. And about three or four years after it was abandoned, uh, an American whaling ship found it, still there, still floating. They got it out of the ice. They took it back to the United States somewhere and fixed it, then sailed it back to the British and gave it as a just sign of goodwill. 
And then at some point, they decided that ship was to be decommissioned, and uh, from that, uh, different timbers of it, they made desks, and that's where the resolute desk came from. We are to be steadfast. We are to be immovable. We are to be determined, purposeful, with the joy that comes from Jesus. Look at verse 22. So with you, he's identifying that pregnant faith, you know, just like a pregnancy. So with you, I think this is, there's so so much in this. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He eliminates the little while. He says, now the disciples will experience the resurrection and no one will take away their joy. His resurrection was not just an event. It is a dawning of a new creation. And with this new era comes the Holy Spirit to comfort, to champion, to convict, and to mentor. And as I said, there's so much in verse 22. The very word studies I did this week, I won't try to give them all to you. But the sheer fact that now, if you think about him changing from saying in a little while to now, some of us can echo that and say, now I am in grief. I'm grieving. I'm suffering. Jesus, how long? A little while? Now, he says, your joy is something that no one can take away. So stop focusing on the grief. And I know, old Cliff, it's so easy. He's challenging us to say there's joy to come through the grief. Now, the commentators love to talk about this whole passage on the timing. Is this simply Jesus talking to his disciples prior to his death and his resurrection? Or is this Jesus talking to his disciples about after the resurrection, before his ascension? Or is this Jesus talking to his disciples about the second coming? And uh, that third interpretation is more of a modern commentator uh, viewpoint. I like just the first one. I think it's so simple that he's saying, hey, guys, they're going to kill me. In a little while, you won't see me. But then in a little while, you're going to see me because I'm going to come back from the grave. And could you imagine the joy that would come over their lives and over their hearts at that point? And he's saying that joy no one can take away from you. That should be your resolute joy that Christ has overcome the grave. He says, and this is an interesting change too in the, in the wording here, he says, I see you. Remember earlier he said, a little while and you will see me. Now he's saying, I will see you. And I think this just echoes what we talked about about four weeks ago where he said, I chose you. I see you and I will see the change because I chose you. And then he uses, and, and I did not look up the King James. Uh, Judd always look at you. Do you have the word heart at all in verse 22? Does the word heart appear at all? You, in your King James it does? You got, yes. Almost none of the modern translations use the word heart because the, word, the Greek word cardia, which you know, cardiac comes from and cardiology, all it, it is the, the root word of heart is in the original manuscripts that many of the modern translations don't say it. But a better translation would be, and and I'm not saying I'm the best, but it would be something like, your heart will rejoice. I see you and your heart will rejoice. That's kind of like getting off the airplane and somebody you know is there waiting 
and they see you and your heart rejoices if you've ever been through that experience. I know you see it in the movies and I can only remember it in once of the, the children that Brenda and I have going to the uh, maternity ward where you're looking through the window, you know, fathers press their faces up against the glass. I mean, in the old movies, dads waited in the waiting room. And in this more modern era, you know, they're right there beside their bride or their, their spouse, and they're sometimes passing out because they can't handle the pain, you know. And it really hurts the man so much, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I remember looking at the twins, you know, and we were in New Mexico when the twins were born, and there was a man about three times my size with a ponytail about down this long, and he is bathing one of my twins. I'm thinking, what is that man doing touching my babies, you know? And he was one of the nurses there, which was fine. But, but I still go back to that flashback. And why are you telling me all that, Cliff? I really don't know. That's just where my mind went for a second. <laughs> Probably has something to do with grief, and there was joy that he finally let the baby go. But Jesus says, I see you and your grief. That's why I came. That's why I chose you. And I bring you joy. And that's where I was finally going to go with that. When they finally bring your baby out from that maternity ward where it's got your name on it or his or her name on it, blue or pink or whatever they're dressed like, and you're like, man, that is mine. And then the overwhelming thing, which happens many times, if you get two. And then my kids were over the other day with their two grandsons, the twins, and I said, what if it had been triplets? And I thought, we would love them and find a way to do everything you need to do, whether it had been three, four, five, eight. We would have called some of you church folks it was eight. <laughs> We'd had round-the-clock ministry at the Perry House. But finally, this word joy, it's a Christmas word for me, right? Which babies are born. Hey, you, you see the interconnection? There is a meaning to the madness of Cliff's mind. But trying to express it sometimes is the complicated part. And I think about five years ago, maybe four years ago, I played a video version of Handel's Messiah. If you've ever, you know, just the Hallelujah Chorus. And I think it, like many of my sermon illustrations, it completely flopped. I think there was only one person who said, man, I really like that. The rest of people are going, when is this over? They're playing a song, and I'm not even singing along. But if you know anything about uh, the man who wrote that, uh, George Frederick Handel, or Handel, or however you want to pronounce his name. A good German probably tell me how to pronounce it correctly. It took him approximately three weeks. He was uh, nearly blind at the time of the uh, writing of this. And it's a lengthy, it tells the whole gospel story. If you've ever been to one of those concerts and heard it in its entirety, most of us know the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, he was so deep in debt, he was afraid that he was going to probably be imprisoned. And... Uh, Later on, after it was released, and the Royals got a hold of it, and such a uh, great piece it became, uh, it was very, you know, it was profitable for him. But when people talked to him, how did you do it, and how did you, how did you, you know, bring that out? He goes, once I understood the joy of the baby's birth, I could not contain it. I had to express it. And to me, that is what we each need to do. Once we understand who Christ Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he's promised to us, that his spirit would indwell us, would empower us, that whatever grief this world brings, 
as sad as it might bring us for a little while, his joy must be resolute and it will overcome the grief and the pain and suffering of this world. That is our challenge today. Because I tell you what, if all the emotions that I have, all the negative things that you may or may not know about me, I like to be angry. I like to hold a grudge. I like to be hateful. And I have to work daily. And maybe that's just about being in the flesh. You know? I have to work at not being that way. And I think likewise, we have to work at being joyful in a world full of grief. Because it's so easy to get mad and to get angry and to carry bitterness and to prejudge people by where they live, the color of their skin, the language they speak, their nationality. It's so easy to be mouthpiece of hate versus pregnant with faith of joy, love, and forgiveness. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, in a little while, we'll have a time of invitation. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that each one here today would know that you came that we might have life everlasting and have a victory over the grief of this world. We don't have to read the newspapers or look at the internet or watch the TV news to know how much pain and suffering there is. So why can't we show the Christ that we each profess to believe in? Why can't we maintain the joy in this world of grief and sorrow? If there's someone today who's never come to accept Jesus, I pray during this invitation time, they would step forward. We can pray together. We'll ask Christ into their life and they can begin this walk of joy with Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here who has stopped showing their faith and others might be uh, surprised to know that they believe. Perhaps this is a day that they need to come and rededicate their lives or maybe there's something that they've been carrying, some form of grief, some burden that just like me wanting to be angry, they want to be in the darkness of grief and despair because sometimes it's easier to be there than to accept the joy that comes from knowing you and they choose what is familiar versus what you are offering which is far better. So Lord, speak to our hearts this day. Whatever decision there is, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst and Lord, we know that you're alive and well and powerful enough to move mountains. So move us today to respond to this invitation for we ask it in Jesus' name.